Welcome to the podcast that helps you build wealth and thrive in a world of out of control central banks and big governments. This is the Rebel Capitalist Show. Hello, fellow Rebel Capitalists. Hope you're well. Super excited to dive into your questions this evening. Or I do, got to encourage you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. You can check it out for $1. It is the investment website where we do live streams just like this. Myself and pros. I'm the amateur on the site. We've got Brent Johnson, Lynn Alden, Chris McIntosh, just to name a few. Tumultuous times. You guys want to get an edge. You got to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. You can do so at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. <laughs> That's it. I remembered it. Good for me. And I was way too lazy to comb my hair. I just got done playing golf or I just got done practicing. I can't really play too much because of my shoulder. So I'm going to go with a hat tonight. So if there's shadows over my eyes. I apologize in advance. Deal with it. You're here for me to answer questions, not look good. <laughs> All right, let's see what we got here. Let's see what we got. All right, well, first and foremost, you know, I didn't even check my audio. Let me do that. Oh, yeah, we're good to go. Um, Question, does arbitrary number by the FDIC to ensure deposits have any impact whatsoever? No, not anymore. I mean, basically, <laughs> what what they've implied, you got to look at their actions. Don't listen to their words. So if we look at their actions, it's pretty much safe to assume that moving forward, you might as well not even have the FDIC. Every deposit is guaranteed up to infinity. And I would be surprised if that changes. Like any other government program, once they start, they never stop. Thoughts on senators given satellite phones, cause of growing concern of security risks. Coincidentally, Klaus has been warning of cyber attack. Uh, I'm not sure. I, I haven't, I mean, there's a lot of things that Klaus talks about. The cyber attack is, is one that I, I, I definitely think should be on the radar, but I think there's other things that are higher priority, at least for me, the whole, you know, freedom, liberty, locking up in a cage thing <laughs> that, that was a priority for me back in 2020 and 2021. That's for sure. Uh, who knows what happens next? I mean, I'm just so focused on their two main objectives, and that's just decreasing population and decreasing energy use. Um, I guess a cyber attack could play into that. I'd have to think it through. Uh, but that's kind of where my focus always is with the global elite uh, or the Malthusian cult, which I think is a much more appropriate way to describe them. Uh, if we're going to be really descriptive, it would be the Malthusian eugenicist cult but i don't know if there's any correlation there or if there's any uh causal component where you know klaus is twirling his figurative mustache <laughs> uh talking about cyber attacks and the senators I, I don't know i haven't looked into that one did you recently hear the news about new york monitoring meat consumption to track no but it doesn't surprise me at all i mean this is obviously the direction the global elite want to take the world. Uh, they don't want you to eat meat. You know, again, if, if we're going to look at this through the lens of their two main objectives, that would be decreased population and decreased energy use. Um, less meat, less protein, less testosterone, less people making babies, fewer babies. 
lowers population. I mean, I have nothing to prove that other than just kind of common sense and taking their stated objectives and then kind of reverse engineering. You know, one thing I said on Twitter that I, I think is, is, is very true and helps you understand the world around you quite a bit better is you'll notice once you take those two things again, lower energy consumption and decreased population, you'll notice that any policy, whether it's stated objective has anything to do with those two goals or not, the, the net result is that you will have that outcome. If there is a consensus with the global elite as far as XYZ policy. Let me give another example. Let's look at, uh, you know, this whole push with the, oh my gosh, in Canada now, it's, it, now it's not just LGBTQ plus. <laughs> I think it is. If my memory serves me that. In Canada, that's nowhere near inclusive enough, obviously. Now they're doing two, two S, two S L G B T Q plus. I, I feel like it's an exam in like grade school, or I don't know if you guys went to a private school. Remember when you had like memory verses, like you'd have like two or three sentences in the Bible that you'd have to like memorize and, and, and you'd have to go in the next day and repeat that in front of the whole class or whatever. I feel like that's at the point right now where we are with this insanity. But if you don't know what 2S is, I actually had to look that one up. I'm, I'm actually very proud to say that I had to look that one up. That is two-spirit. Now, I don't know what two-spirit is, nor do I care. And I'm sure it's just something that they concocted just to virtue signal that actually has no meaning and the amount of human beings that would identify as that I could probably count on my one hand <laughs> on planet earth. But of course we've got to change the whole, uh, the whole phrase just to be more quote unquote inclusive. Right. But what's my point? My point is if we push this now, should we be fair and should we be accommodating? Should we be uh, open to people that have a different, let's just say, sexual orientation. Of course, of course, of course. But there's a difference between being open and, and pushing this on society. There's a big, big difference, especially when you're involving kids, right? You go look at the whole Target thing with all the rainbow deals, all the proponents of this just say, oh, who cares? Or what, what are you mad at some kid wearing a, a hat with different colors on it? No, you idiot. It's what those colors represent. And it's not that I'm against that, but I am against having to explain this to a kid because at the end of the day, whether you like it or not, this involves a topic that probably isn't appropriate for a six-year-old, for heaven's sakes. I mean, I went on a rant about this the other day on a live stream that we just had these things. Actually, I've got them written down right here. Back when I was growing up, whether you're on the left, right, progressive, conservative, liberal, it just didn't matter anarcho-capitalist, communist, it didn't matter. There were, there were just basic, basic things that we could all agree on. Number one, don't show kids porn. And that's basically what we're talking about. I mean, it sounds crazy to say that, that we're actually having to debate this. 
right now. Anyway, I'm going to get off that rant. But my point here is that pushing this, does this mean fewer babies in the future or more? It means less. Now, I'm not going to say that, uh, you know, giving, uh, being welcoming and all these things, you know, but pushing this on society, that means that there's most likely going to be fewer babies born than there otherwise would be. Okay, so that's the main objective of the global elite. Okay, so I can assure you that all the global elite will be on the exact same page when it comes to th this topic, right? So uh, any topic, you know, as far as uh, transgender kids, as an example, I guarantee you all the global elite will have the exact same opinion. And that opinion is that we need to push this because at the end of the day, the net result, I'm not going to say it's good, bad, whatever, you be the judge, but the net result is fewer kids born. If more and more kids are changing their sex before they're 12 or at any point in time, they're most likely going to have fewer kids. You see? Uh, uh, abortion. Easy. Fewer kids. Then I can guarantee you that all the global elite will have the exact same opinion on it. So, you know, you go back to COVID as an example, and there were a few things just using common sense and a few red flags that helped you pretty much predict everything, right? Whenever the mainstream media was saying something that just didn't make sense, it was always because they were lying and that you should believe the opposite of what they were saying. And that was a very, very good North Star. So again, now I would suggest using that as a North Star. Two objectives, use that as a framework, look at everything, through whether it's hiring, whether it's all these woke uh, marketing executives at Bud Light or uh, Anheuser-Busch, Target, um, wherever they are, just look at it through the lens of lower population, less energy use. And magically, everything starts to make sense. Shouldn't the focus not be on U.S. trade deficits, but rather how long artificial surplus among sovereign nations can go up? Mm, not really, because uh, I, I don't know. I don't know where you're. I, I think you're probably going to the whole treasuries and how much demand can be out there and how much dollars can be soaked up by these foreign entities that are. Uh, trading dollars for goods that they're sending here, hence our, our trade deficit. Um, look, what we see in the news right now, Turkey is a good example. It's always swap lines. Whenever you have the global economy on unsound ground, uh, whenever we see cracks in the system, what happens? Dollars, you got to do a dollar swap line, dollar swap line to the Swiss National Bank, dollar swap line to Turkey. And I know Turkey, uh, they're getting that dollar swap line through different uh, countries, but it's always dollar swap line, dollar swap. Well, why? Why is that? Because they don't have enough, they don't have enough dollars. You see? And when I say it like that, it just people's head explodes. It was like, what are you talking about? Not enough dollars. What? What? The Fed's money printer go burr. Or they said, look at the M2 money supply in 2020, 2021. It went up by 25%. What do you mean there's not enough dollars? Are you insane? Oh, no. What, I, think, I think actually I need to do a better job of using different terminology. 
So it's not that there's not enough dollars in the United States for the domestic economy. Okay. It's, it's, or I would go so far, maybe it's not even that there's not enough dollars globally, but there's not enough dollar cash flow. See, two completely separate things. You can have way too many dollars. The Fed can print trillions, zillions of dollars, quadrillions. But it doesn't mean that you can pay your mortgage if you lose your job, right? If you lose your job, you have no income. You have no dollar cash flow. And when it comes time to pay your mortgage, you're screwed. In other words, you're short dollars. You see, so when Snyder and Brent Johnson and, and Lynn and uh, and Luke and Chris Mack, when all these like super smart macro people talk about short dollars, that's that's what they're really saying. That these big entities or sometimes countries, although there may be massive amounts of dollars on balance sheets globally, and there may be way too many dollars in the United States relative to goods and services, it, it doesn't mean that there aren't countries, entities, maybe banks that don't have the dollar cash flow. Therefore, they are short dollars. Therefore, they're going to default. They can't buy things. And because the global economy is, on, is so precarious, right, because it's got so many fundamental flaws, that, could, that dollar shortage or dollar cash flow shortage in a world that may have too many dollars is what tips you over the edge. So I, I think that if, if you start to think of uh, a dollar shortage in terms of just a dollar cash flow shortage, it will help you understand why you can have a deflationary bust globally or within a country or a country itself uh, as far as not having enough dollars while at the same time the Fed is, you know, money printer go burr, something. Now it gets into a lot more nuance than that, but just it just whenever you hear that, whenever you're trying to say how the hell is that or how the heck is the 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 US dollar on the DXY going up when you know inflation is at nine percent, you're trying to reconcile those two things, always take it back to that example of the Fed printing money, but yet you losing your job and not being able to pay the mortgage for you. You're short dollars, even though there's money printer go burr. Uh, uh, and just one more example there, Credit Suisse, uh, Signature Bank, Silicon Valley Bank, they were short dollars, weren't they? Even though there might have been a lot of, quote unquote, liquidity, they didn't have the cash flow they needed, and they went belly up. Shouldn't the folk, okay, there you go. Oh, so I went way off on a tangent there. Sorry about that. So my my point is, if anything, outside of the United States, there's a dollar shortage. So the fact that there's higher trade deficits and that uh, global entities are have a lot more dollars than they otherwise would if the deficit was lower, I don't think that's a problem. Uh, I, I think that's a, a benefit to the global economy. Now, is that a problem for the United States? Yeah, because we don't produce stuff. And the definition of wealth is not how many currency units you have. It's how much stuff, goods and services, your domestic economy can produce efficiently. That's the definite, at least my definition of wealth. And I think if you just use the island example, it makes sense. You can be on a, a, 
deserted island with a chest full of gold, a billion dollars worth of gold or a billion dollars in, in green pieces of paper. Are you rich or are you poor? Poor. But you got a billion dollars. Who cares? There's no stuff. So that's why, you know, it's good for the global economy, but bad for the United States. It just goes right back to Triffin's paradox, which, by the way, I might do a whiteboard video on it this, this week. We, we now have a Triffin's paradox, not just with the dollar, but with treasuries, where the global economy, because they need more and more collateral or the global monetary system, they need more and more treasuries. Therefore, the government would have to create these treasuries, but that's bad for the United States even though it satisfies demand globally, because that means more government spending. The more government spending you have, the more economic distortions you have. So kind of food for thought there. That's something that I've been noodling over for uh, a week or so, that, it, it, that talking about Triffin's paradox in terms of treasuries, not just dollars. Is China's anticipated global dominance a bit overstated considering? Um, I think it's just a matter of, your time, right? Uh, if we fast forward 50 years, is China most likely going to be the, the dominant country or the biggest uh, economy? Yeah, yeah. Uh, fast forward five years? Mm -hmm. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But uh, so I think it's just your time horizon. Van Meter says less economic activity means less demand for USD. That does not sound like something Steve would say. <laughs> I keep going here. Uh, Johnson says less economic. Yeah, I think you might be misunderstanding the the bond king <laughs> on that one. Um, I don't know how, especially I understand Steve's framework pretty well, and I don't know how he would come to that conclusion. Less economic activity means less demand for dollars. Um, well, let me think this through here. So less economic activity. Okay. So there's, if there's less economic activity, I guess if you exclude the banking system, I, yeah, I just, so if, if there's less economic activity, you're going to have less dollar cash flow, but you still got the same amount of debt and it just goes right back to what we were just talking about. So let's just say that, that um, again, you've got a, a mortgage payment at the end of this month. You lose your job, but uh, you've got Chinese yuan in your bank account or maybe Mexican pesos. Maybe that's a better example, right? You've got a, a multi-currency account and you don't have any dollars. Uh, you just lost your job that paid you dollars. But for whatever reason, you've got uh, whatever, $100,000 in Mexican pesos. Okay, so what are you going to do when your mortgage payment comes up? Are, are you going to pay uh, Wells Fargo in pesos? No, no, no they're not going to take that. What are you going to do? You're going to sell the pesos and you're going to buy dollars, which is going to create more demand for dollars, more supply pesos. The exchange rate, uh, the, 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 the dollar peso swap or FX rate, dollar goes up, right? So uh, it's the exact same thing, right? If the global economy slows down, then you've got less dollar circulation, you've got less dollar cash flow, but you've got the same dollar amount uh, denominated debt. They can't make those debt payments. And all of a sudden, that's an asset on the bank's balance sheet. Then the banks start to blow up. Then they contract the credit issuance. 
which makes things contract even further and it lowers velocity even more, less dollar cash flow. And there's just higher, higher, higher demand for those dollars, but less dollar cash flow. And therefore, they're selling any asset that they have on their balance sheet just to get those dollars they need. That's usually other currencies. And, and there again, that dollar goes up because more demand, more supply of the other currency. So, I mean, if I had to argue, I mean, if you really put me on the spot and said, George, you have to argue how the dollar would go down against other currencies if there was less economic activity. Yeah, I would definitely be in Brent's camp here. I mean, I, I guess you could say uh, there's just less credit being created. Um, no, I, I can't get there. <laughs> I can't get, th- well, okay, well, here, here's a way I could get there. Here's a way I could get there. If lower economic activity domestically in the United States, so let's just assume that the United States is on this island and they're going into recession. But magically, Europe is booming, Japan is booming, right? Uh, Then you would have the Fed drop rates down to, let's say, zero. But then you would have the ECB and the Bank of Japan continuing to increase rates. You'd have an interest rate differential, and that could make the uh, dollar go down on the DXY. And that's really relative to uh, pretty much the, the the euro basket of currencies, but it's like 57% euro. So in that environment, uh, short term, yeah, I, I think the, the dollar would go lower. Again, that's basically what they call an uh, interest rate differential because the rates in the United States going lower, rates in other countries going higher. I got there. I'm, I'm pretty impressed with that one. <laughs> you put me on the spot, but I was actually able to figure out a way where that may be the, the the net result. Although you can tell there's like thousands of variables when it comes to uh, the FX markets. Question in the Patrick but David interview. Awesome. Thank you, uh, Trucker Trent. You said the Phillips curve is proven incorrect. How can that be? Look at the 1970s, my friend. That's just, <laughs> that, that, that's all I need to point to. Because the Phillips curve is supposedly an inverse relationship between the unemployment rate and the inflation rate. So as the unemployment rate goes down, the inflation rate goes up. So if you're trying to get inflation down, then you got to take the unemployment rate up. Uh, Okay, then supposedly going into the 1970s, the people that really kind of were proponents of the Phillips curve said, well, it's impossible to have high inflation and high unemployment. Well, we, we saw how that could happen, right? We got stagflation, which means high inflation and high unemployment at the exact same time. So that pretty much disproved uh, the Phillips curve. I think it's more of a, a, a monetary phenomenon. Uh, and then obviously supply side dyna- dynamics there as well. But, uh, you know, you, because what you're thinking is that, oh my gosh, companies have to pay employees more. So then uh, they're going to go ahead and charge higher prices. And they call it a, a wage price spiral, I think is the technical term for it. But to me, that doesn't really make any sense because if you're not creating more currency units, then you're just robbing Peter to pay Paul. And those businesses are going to go through their margin. They're going to start to go bust. 
then you get the unemployment back up. Um, so to me, the price wage spiral never made a lot of sense and, uh, nor did the Phillips curve. But when you look at the 1970s, that's pretty much seals the deal there. Hey guys, I want to remind you to check out Rebel Capitalist Pro. This is the incredible online investment forum that I have with investment experts, Lynn Alden and Chris McIntosh. It includes professionals such as Patrick Serezna from Macro Voices. He specializes in options. Tony Greer, commodity trading. Jason Hartman, real estate. And Brent Johnson with Macro Economics. If you want to build wealth and thrive in this world of out-of-control central banks and big governments, Rebel Capitalist Pro is the resource you need. So check it out today at georgegammon.com forward slash pro. That's georgegammon.com forward slash pro. We'll see you inside with the fellow rebel capitalists that are taking their investing to the next level. Why do you not follow Kiyosaki's model of buying cattle? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I just, uh, I mean, that's his deal. He's got guys and gals that manage that for him. And he's done obviously very well. For me, I just prefer to do different things. I just prefer to kind of just wait, do nothing. And then when I see something cheap, just go ahead and buy it. And right now I'm just getting paid quite well just to own cash as far as T-bills. And I like commodities long-term. So that's my strategy. It might not be glamorous, might not be sexy, might not be the best way to maximize returns. But for me, the risk reward makes a lot of sense. So that's my strategy. I'm sticking to it. That's actually been my strategy for like the last man, the last year and a half or so. And uh, we'll see how it plays out. I'm just going to wait until the yield curve is no longer inverted and uh, see what happens. And uh, I'm guessing commodity prices will still, uh, will come down. Uh, hopefully, they'll get to the point where they're quote-unquote uh, cheap. You know, uh, what we see in copper right now is a good indication of that. What we see in the oil market, there's very, very low supply. And the long-term supply dynamics for oil, very bad. So uh, oil should be a lot higher, especially after OPEC Plus comes out and does the million-dollar-a-day reduction. I think it's a little over a million a day. So the fact that oil goes from, what, 68 up to 80, now I think it's just trading down below around 70, maybe 71, 72, that goes to show you that the, the the oil market, which is a very sophisticated market, is predicting the exact same thing the yield curve is predicting. And so is Dr. Copper. If you haven't followed the copper price, it's gone down significantly over the last couple months. So there's so many things out there that are very powerful indicators that are kind of waving the red flag right now. I'm very, very comfortable being overweight cash, especially if I'm being paid five or 5.5% just to roll over one month, three month T-bills and just wait to see how the yield curve, Dr. Copper, oil, all these things that you're seeing kind of play out. Have you heard of 100 flowers? No, please research that, okay? World needs leaders like you. Uh, yeah, I don't see myself... Uh, that way, but um, I appreciate the kind words. I, I think 
the world needs uh, people that are willing to speak up and push back against the central planners, authoritarians, and global elite. You know, one, I, I mentioned this in my presentation at Rebel Capitalist Live, but I really haven't talked about it too much on videos. And I'm, I need to start, uh, I need to change that. I need to start talking about this a lot more. And I need to make this kind of a theme of the videos. The, the good news about this whole thing is it's very easy for us to win. Or I should say it's very simple. It might not be easy, but it's very simple. All If you think about it, all we have to do to win is just say no. That's it. Just say no. Like, think about that. You go back to the lockdowns in 2020. If enough people just came together and just said no, we win. There are no lockdowns. They say, oh, you got to stay in a cage. You know, you can't go walk your dog. You can't go to the beach. You can't open your business. You can't teach kids, blah, 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 blah. If everyone just stood up, not even everyone, if like 10% of the population just stood up, stood up and said, uh, yeah, no, I'm not doing that. We win. There's nothing they can do. I don't care if they have all the weapons. I don't care if they have all the guns, the money, the power. It doesn't matter. Another example, way back in 2021, this was when they were really doing the whole mask Nazi thing on the planes. Josh, most of you know who he is, my research assistant. Uh, we had a uh, the mastermind group that I have with Kenny McElroy and Jason Hartman. We were meeting in Naples, and Josh was flying down from Atlanta. And uh, there were, he said, maybe 10 or 12 people on the flight. And keep in mind, you know, a flight, what's going to have 120 people or so? So there's about 10% of the plane that once they got up in the air, they just said, uh, yeah, that mask thing, no. And what happened? They just took off the mask. They said, no, we're not doing that. And the, the, the cocktail girls or whatever, they just said, you know, they went up and told the pilot. And like, uh, nothing we can do. <laughs> just tell, tell the people on the ground and we're just going to fly and that's it. And so that's the, the good news. The, the problem there, the reason that's not simple or it's simple, but the reason that's not easy to execute is because you just have to have people come together and get pushed past that line in the sand where they're willing to do that. And unfortunately, the way we're hardwired as human beings, usually we don't do that until we can't put food on the table or we can't put a roof over our head. Or you start messing with our kids. And that's exactly what they did during the Cerveza sickness. You know, they told everyone that's mandatory to, to have your job or whatever to get the, the medicine. And most people complied with that. But once they started saying, oh, you got to do it to your kids, that's when those people, whether they're on the left, right, doesn't matter. They said, no, negative. That ain't going to happen. And that's when they start to push back. And then the central planners know that they went too far. And they say, okay, we got to pull things back here. And it's been like that throughout human history. It, it doesn't have to be 90% of the population, for heaven's sakes. Just, I mean, look at Romania in 1989, like 500,000 people. I mean, that was not the entire population. They just stood up and said, no, they win. The dictator guy that had been in charge for decades. Nine days later, they take him out back and put a bullet in his head. They win. 
All they did, they didn't have any guns. They didn't have any money. They didn't have any power. Zero. All they had to do is come together and just say no. Could you please enlighten us on the discussion you had with Lynn and Mike Maloney at the end of dinner? Oh, boy. You know, that was one of my favorite conversations I have ever had. Two of my favorite people. I don't know. There's no way I could get into the the details of what we were talking about because I would need a whiteboard and I I would lose 99% of the people on this live stream right now. But, uh, oh boy, how can I summarize it? Basically, we were trying to figure out the aggregate impact on M2 money supply if a bank creates a mortgage and then the Fed buys the mortgage. Now you may say, oh, Georgia, that's easy because the Fed's just buying it from the bank. So they create M2 and then uh, the Fed buys it from the bank. There's no impact on M2. So you just have however many currency units were created by creating the, uh, uh, however many currency units were created by lending them into existence to begin with the mortgage. That would be the overall net impact on M2. Ah, but it gets very, very complicated because what if that bank sells the loan? Maybe they sell it to another bank. Okay, great. Now we're not impacting M2, but what if they sell it to an entity in the private sector? And then what if the Fed, in order to buy that, they have to go through the primary dealer? Okay, is the primary dealer paying for that mortgage with M2? Or are they paying with it out of base money? It depends. If it's a primary dealer that's under the umbrella of one of the big banks, then most likely bank reserves. But they wouldn't have to exclusively go through one of those entities. So say it goes from the balance sheet of a bank onto the balance sheet of a private uh, of a uh, primary dealer that isn't under the bank that's actually using M2, and then it's going back to the Fed. Okay, but what if it goes to Fannie and Freddie? And then what if Fannie and Freddie packages that and then sells it to an investment firm on Wall Street? Okay, well, is Fannie and Freddie using uh, M2? Are they using bank reserves? You see where I'm going with this? So what happens is you can have, if it's just two transactions, it's super simple. Well, it's super simple for people like Mike and Lynn. Uh, and people who have put a lot of thought into it, like you might put me in that category as well. But once you start this daisy chain of of like 10 different variables, and each variable could be an entity that is using reserves or using M2. And based on that variable in the daisy chain, the outcome 10 steps later is is different. You've got to think, th- and and that is uh, to say that is wildly complex is is a dramatic understatement. And I had a position on how that that works, and I was doing my very best to explain it to Mike. And I was I was using Lynn <laughs> as an example of the primary dealer. I would say, okay, Mike, so you're the uh, bank that institutes the loan. Lynn is the primary dealer. 
I'm the Fed. And we were going around and around and around and around trying to all get on the same page as to what the outcome would be. But we are, we had like 10 different variables. So we're like, okay, if this happens and that happens and this happens and that happens and this happens and that happens, then what the blah, 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 blah. So uh, like I said, it, it, I, I can't really totally explain it or I'd need a whiteboard, but it was one of the funnest conversations I, I have ever had. It was just super, super cool. Uh, let's see. Do you think pre-1933 gold has less chance of being confiscated? No. Also, do you think individuals worried about confiscation should vault gold overseas? Well, sure. I mean, that's definitely an option. Or you look at jewelry. I've always talked about watches. And, you know, I saw something on Zero Hedge the other day. I think that they're saying that Rolexes are really coming down in price, uh, which is another kind of, it's an anecdote, obviously. But I don't know. Maybe that that kind of lines up with what we were talking about with commodities, Dr. Copper, the oil market. Um, I mean, some of the others, like the soft commodities, some of those have just completely tanked. Uh, look at Nat Gas. Uh, look at, I believe it was soybeans have really come down. Um, but anyway, uh, when you line that up with the yield curve, maybe the Rolex is just crashing in price. Maybe that tells us, that just gives us another data point that uh, may be pretty relevant. Do you think bonds and or regional banks are good investment for the next couple of years? What type of bonds are you talking about? Are you talking about corporate bonds? Are you talking about treasuries? And what's your objective? Uh, if your objective is just to you know, increase your purchasing power, no, I don't think either of those are. I mean, with the regional banks, again, you just don't know how this uh, yield curve is going to play out. Now, if the yield curve was no longer inverted and it started to steepen, not as a result of the two-year treasury going down, but the 10-year treasury going up, then I would completely change my tune. And if at that point, the regional banks were still, let's just say super cheap based on, on PE, then I, I would be interested for sure. But right now we're still at a massive inversion which means that the we're kind of in the eye of the storm as far as these regional banks. And I, I, I don't know how to quantify the risk. I don't know how to quantify the downside risk at all. So if I don't know how to quantify it, I'm, I'm not going to play that game. And then as far as bonds, uh, you know, I'm not too interested in corporate bonds, although I'm always interested based on price. That's for sure. It's all a function of price at the end of the day. But when I, I would assume you're talking about treasuries, the long end of the curve does not excite me. I, I know that if you were speculating, uh, that may be a good speculation, but I don't like to play that game because you're just betting the price is going to go down. I don't think there's any argument whatsoever that historically bonds are cheap. That's for sure. Uh, historically, they're expensive, if, if, if anything. Uh, Looking at long end of the curve. Uh, the front end of the curve you know, I think that's interesting. That's where most of my portfolio is, but that's, I'm not trying to make a capital gain on that. I'm just keeping my dry powder there just to get that 5%, which let's be honest, I'm still just breaking even with the rate of inflation. So it's not really increasing my purchasing power. So why do I do it? It's just because it's extremely liquid. I, and I'd rather have that counterparty than, than the banks right now. And, uh, 
and that's you know a bit higher interest rate than I think you get on most of those banks, especially the big banks that would be a lot safer. George, is your base case still hard landing? Absolutely. Markets seem to be pricing in no landing. Yeah, and that's exactly what we expected. Exactly what we expected. So if you follow me on the Rebel Capitalist channel where I do like two or three live streams a day, uh, we've been talking about this just pretty much nonstop since the yield curve inverted, that the recession or uh, will happen or the crisis, you know, whatever's going to play out, it'll happen when no one's expecting it. It'll happen when everyone's on one side of the boat. Why? I don't know. That's just the way markets are. They're always going to try. The, the market is always going to inflict maximum pain on market participants. I, I don't know why. I think it's probably based on human psychology. And, and it's. I guess it would just be buyers and sellers, right? At the end of the day. Because if you got everyone on the boat, on one side of the boat, that's buying, uh, by definition, that means there's no more buyers. And you've only got one thing left, and that's a seller. <laughs> that's going to lower the price and vice versa. So that's probably, as far as market dynamics, that's probably what happens. You know, you just exhaust all the, the buyers or you exhaust all the sellers or you exhaust enough of them to where there's that uh, turning point in the price. So, but my point is, this is what we expected. You know, uh, back maybe two months ago when uh, everyone was very bearish and, you know, I said, I still am a believer in the yield curve here, but what this tells me is that we'll probably have another leg up in the market where everyone forgets about these problems. And uh, that's when you kind of get that right hook from Mike Tyson. When the market is expecting a recession and expecting all these things, it very rarely happens. So uh, when the market expects a recession, you know, you're pretty much guaranteed you're not going to get one in the short term. But then when they don't expect one, when they expect a quote unquote no landing, that's when you got to be real careful. Yeah. And again, it's not just the curves that look awful. It's copper, it's oil, it's most commodities, it's Rolex watches, um, it, it's it's China, you know, the 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 macro numbers out of China. Uh, Germany is in recession. I mean, it's uh you could go down the list. You know, pretty much the only thing you got your hat to to hang your hat on is just unemployment. We always know that's a lagging indicator. And if all these things are going down, right? If we've got these massive uh, inversions, if you've got uh, the price of oil going down, even though they're reducing supply, if you've got the commodity prices going down, keep in mind that's all happening. You've got uh, uh, the housing market going down in real terms. You've got in many markets in nominal terms. You've got this Im complete implosion in the commercial real estate market. Remember, that's all with unemployment being at 3.5%. That, that's a, a low going back to the late 1960s. So what happens if unemployment just normalizes? And then if the Fed is hyper-focused on unemployment, going back to the Phillips curve, that just tells you that every single time they hike, they just increase the probabilities of a hard landing. So, yeah, I don't know what Burry's doing, but uh, no, I, I'm, I'm still hard landing. Now, maybe he's more of a trader, and I think you could argue maybe in the next 
month or two, sure, you could argue how stocks go up. Um, I could give you multiple arguments why stocks might go up. But I'm not like a one-month, two-month guy. I'm not good enough for that. I'm not smart enough for that. I just try to do these long-term things. And uh, for me, if I look 10 years out, I think commodities are going to be much higher. And so if I have to wait six months or even a year for commodities to come down for the yield curve to play out, I'm totally cool with that. Where a guy like Burry or like a, a professional money manager, they don't have that luxury. Video hyper real. Both. I mean, it's just like dot com. Again, we've seen this movie. We know how it plays out. <laughs> it's absolutely the same. Why? Because we're humans. And markets consist of human beings making decisions. And we are hardwired the exact same way today that we were in the dot com bust, in the real estate bubble, in the crypto bubble. I mean, you just take it back in the tulip mania. It doesn't matter. It's we're all we're different people, but the hardwiring is the same. And so, and, and until you change human being hardwiring, which in my opinion you ain't gonna do, <laughs> you're gonna have the same thing. You're gonna have a very you're gonna have a fantastic idea that's absolutely gonna change the world, but it gets way overbought, way overbought, then it crashes down. And then the phoenix rises from the ashes. And then when everyone's burned and no one's paying attention and no one gives a crap about AI anymore, that's when the price really starts to go up. You see the exact same thing in tech, right? Going back, back to the dot-com. It just happens over and over and over again. And it'll happen the exact same thing with AI. Now, can NVIDIA go up 10 times from here uh, before? Sure. But again, I'm not going to play that game because I, I'm going to obey my investment rules. And rule number one for George Gammon is don't try to figure out price direction. Uh, yeah, it could triple, it could quadruple, it could go up 10x. I don't care. Not at all. Uh, I, is it cheap? Based on current PE, not where the PE or not where the earnings are going to be in 10 years. I don't care about that. Based on last year's earnings. Again, if you're buying a McDonald's, you're not willing to pay the price for that McDonald's if based on the fact the owner is telling you that in 10 years, revenue will be 10 times higher. Okay. You know, again, it goes back to that saying <laughs> that we used to use when I was a kid. You know, you go, here's a quarter. Call someone who gives a beep. I don't care what your earnings are going to be in 10 years. I don't care what your earnings are going to be next year. Who cares? All I care about and all I'm going to pay you on is what your earnings were last year. That's it. And so maybe that's the wrong attitude to have. Obviously, I'm 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 no pro investor, but uh, that's just my mindset as an entrepreneur, and I keep that same mindset in the world of investing. And uh, so far, it's 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 served me pretty well. I mean, Nvidia is the classic example of buying a dollar for $3, hoping it goes to $5. And I always say to tell people that to me, that's a fool's game. I just want to buy a dollar for 50 cents. Can you please explain how 10 year versus two year may indicate recession as the yield curve approaches zero? 
um, because usually when the curve is steepening or becoming less inverted is a result of the Fed dropping rates. Therefore, the two-year is going back down below the 10-year. So let's use some numbers here. Right now, the 10 years, let's just call it 3.5, roughly. Uh, Two-year, where are we? 4.2, something like that. Let's just say it's 4.2. Okay, so let's just assume for a moment that the Fed dropped rates tomorrow by uh, 500 basis points. Take, take. Let's just say they take it down to zero, right? What happens to the two-year in that environment? Two-year crashes as far as the yield. Price skyrockets. So my guess would be the yield goes from 4.2% down to, I mean, who knows? It Fed at zero, probably, let's just say 100 basis points. So 1%. Okay. So now all of a sudden, voila, the yield curve is no longer inverted. Now you have to ask yourself, what would make the Fed drop rates by 500 basis points? That would be a collapse. That would be a crisis. That would be a black swan event. That would be a hard landing, if you will. That, that could be World War III, for all I know. So that, that's why it's uh, when you see it approaching zero or actually steepening out or no longer being inverted, that's usually why the stuff hits the fan at that point or within the next few months, not when the curve's actually inverted. It's because the curve is no longer inverted as a result of the Fed dropping rates in response to a crisis. If you had a, if you had a starter home property in the U.S. and wanted to sell it right now, and it was in good shape at 25 years old and dated, would you upgrade? I mean, I'd just do the math, Jordan. I, I'd just simply say, okay, how much is it going to cost me? What's my time worth? And what type of multiple am I going to get on that when I sell the house? And if it if it makes sense, do it. If it doesn't, don't. Can we have another Jim Rogers interview? He's my favorite investor. That's for sure. I, I really, really like Jim Rogers for, for multiple reasons. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'll talk to him sometime uh, in the future. I'm not doing as many interviews uh, recently just because whenever I have something on my mind, I always just kind of like to do those live streams in lieu of the interviews. And doing the, you know, it takes time to set up. And um, quite frankly, the the subscribers and the viewers on YouTube don't really like the interviews too much. I mean, it seems weird, but uh, yeah, they don't. At least when I'm doing it, maybe because I, I suck at interviewing. <laughs> maybe that's it. I, I don't know. But uh, the interviews, even while I was doing the Rebel Capitalist show, they would never get very many subscribers, and they wouldn't get that many views. And in fact, with probably, I don't know, maybe 10% of the interviews that I would do, they'd actually lose subscribers. <laughs> I had like a negative number where the whiteboard videos and the uh, live streams on the Rebel Capitalist channel, those get tons and tons and tons of uh, subscribers, and they get a lot more views. So um, not that I'm just sitting there, you know, super priority with uh, getting views and whatnot. Uh, I have other priorities, 
but uh, the views do tell you what people uh, want, right? And so if what they want is in line with what I want to do, then that's most likely the, the direction I'm going to go. So now it's to the point where I'll only interview someone if I just really, really want to talk to them and kind of, uh, you know, th there's something specific that I'd like to discuss. But I'd always like to talk to Jim. So, yeah, we'll definitely talk to him regardless of, uh, you know, that's someone that I'd talk to. I, I don't care what the YouTube audience wants. For me, today is, uh, when is the next Rebel Capital Live? That's a good question. <laughs> I, I don't know. I haven't even thought about it. Uh, I really don't like spending time in the U.S. anymore. That's just me being honest. For a variety of reasons. But I mean, you know, I'm just relaxing. I'm trying to get my, I'm trying to rehab my shoulder. Uh, I'm trying to get healthy again. So honestly, I haven't even thought about it. If I had to give you a guess, I'd probably say similar time and similar location to what we just did next year. All right, guys, let's go ahead and do some shout outs. Who do we have here? We got Jack in the house, Ganesh. Hauza, Christina L, Christopher Kirwan, Asa La Vista Barbie. Wow, <laughs> that is a creative screen name. CLMRR, OG in the house, Fluffy Clucks, Frigadelic Research Group, Matt Bittner, Moody, <laughs> Wayne Smith, All Nighter Hider. Hope you're well, buddy. Good luck. I don't know if you're in Alaska yet or not, but uh, uh, hope you're well. Zero Silver Hawk, Running Man, Arius Maximilian, JB, Body Embark. Okay. Jack Charger Mopar, a eh, Dodge guy or gal. Judge Maddie, Jack Vic McLausick. Wayne Smith, Becky B, Jay, Brandon Porter, David Lamar in the house. <laughs> All right, guys, enjoy the rest of your weekend. See you on the next video. Thank you for listening to the Rebel Capitalist Show. For more content like this, check out the Rebel Capitalist blog at georgegammon.com or go to the George Gammon YouTube channel.